Good morning online. Good morning here. There is hope today. Amen? Amen. Uh, my name is Margarita, and I'll be reading our scripture sermon, uh, passage today. And it comes from Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11, if you'd like to follow along from the CEB version of the Bible, our translation. Um, let's pray. Dear God, I pray that our hearts and minds would be opened as we read this passage together. I thank my God every time I mention you in my prayers. I'm thankful for all of you every time I pray, and it is always a prayer full of joy. I'm glad because of the way you have been my partners in the ministry of the gospel from the first you believed until now. I am sure about this. The one who started a good work in you will stay with you to complete the job by the day of Christ Jesus. I have good reason to think this way about all of you because I keep you in my heart. You are all my partners in God's grace, both during my time in prison and in the defense and support of the gospel. God is my witness that I feel affection for all of you with the compassion of Christ Jesus. This is my prayer, that your love might become even more and more rich with knowledge and kinds of insight. I pray this so that you will be able to decide what really matters, and so you will be sincere and blameless on the day of Christ. I pray that you will be filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes from Jesus Christ, in order to give glory and praise to God. God is good all the time. All the time. God is good. Amen, amen. Um, we are in the second week of Advent, the second Sunday of Advent, and Advent is the time that we wait. It's the four Sundays before Christmas. Um, where we wait in anticipation for the coming of Emmanuel, God with us. And uh, Advent, Christmas, is actually a Christian holiday. Did you know that? <laughs> you wouldn't think so if you were watching TV or were a part of our, our culture. And it would seem like it's a, a, a holiday for the stores and consumerism and whatnot. But... You know, as we light the Advent candles, it's just a tradition, right? It's a, it's, a, it's a part of the church acting out, living through the church calendar and saying and declaring that, yes, we have different rhythms. We have the rhythms of our work life, the rhythms of, you know, working Monday through Friday or how, whenever you work, or we have the rhythms of consumerism, like the... After Thanksgiving is Black Friday, you know, on Monday it's Cyber Monday, and then Christmas comes, and then you listen to Christmas music, and you put up the lights, and you know, your tree, or whatever. But as followers of Jesus, as Christians, as the church, we follow another rhythm, and, and that rhythm is um, built around the birth of Jesus Christ and who Jesus is, amen? Um, and a, a part of that rhythm also um, that the church follows or some church follows or the worldwide church follows 
is uh, the lectionary, which is a calendar, a schedule of scriptures. So during Advent, um, I'm preaching out of the lectionary. Um, and Philippians 1, 3 through 11 um, is the first, the second reading in the lectionary um, today. So um, I've entitled today's sermon, You Will Have Fruit. You Will Have Fruit. Um, and during the holidays, I think of, uh, what is it, mandarin oranges and whatever fruits you eat during this time. But I think of mandarin oranges, sweet ones. Um, but Paul, this is the introduction Paul gives um, to his letter to the Philippians, um, the church in Philippi. And to give context, Paul is writing from prison. Um, and most likely, this is during his second imprisonment in Rome. So we learn of several imprisonments in the book of Acts. Um, um, but the, his second imprisonment in Rome is after he's put back into prison, he's awaiting, um, a, he's awaiting a trial. And then ultimately, according to Roman history, um, his execution. So this is not the period of house arrest, but uh, a lot of historians think that he was actually in the infamous uh, Mamertine prison uh, around 67 AD, and then he was beheaded on orders from Nero, um, according to the history books. Um, during that time, Nero was harshly, who was the emperor of Rome, was harshly persecuting Christians. Um, he was a known megalomaniac, so oftentimes he'd have these festivals with all these competitions, sporting events, and he'd win all of them. But you know why he'd win? Because all the people were afraid of him and just, I don't want to die if I beat you. So they just let him win everything. Um, and a lot of people think that uh, there was a great Roman fire in 64 AD or so, and that burned maybe like 60% of Rome, of the districts in Rome. And uh, many, uh, many of the ancient historians, not modern day historians, but the ancient historians blamed it on Nero, um, saying that he burned it just because he wanted to build another palace or he just wanted to rebuild Rome. So that's, that's kind of insight into what his own contemporaries felt about him um, and his personality. Um, and uh, you give, you know, a baby great power like that and crazy things happen, right? Uh, so, but because he was getting heat for this fire and supposedly starting this fire, um, Nero began to scapegoat the Christians, saying the Christians are the ones who started this fire. So there's persecution happening, um, going on for the Christians. And so... It's in the midst of this that Paul is thrown into prison once again to stand trial as a rabble-rouser and a traitor to the empire. And so um, the, in these days, people were thrown into prison. Not Prison wasn't the punishment, but they would wait two, three, four, several years just to stand trial. And so this is where Paul is, and he's writing um, most likely his only letter to the church at Philippi. And the church at Philippi had a special place in Paul's heart. If we remember in Acts, around Acts 16, you remember the, the dream that Paul has um, where the guy in the vision says, no, go over there. And so he ends up going to Europe and, and to Philippi. And they were, Philippi, the church at Philippi was the first church founded in Europe. 
Um, you can read that in Acts 16, 6 through 40. And remember Lydia, who was the dealer of purple cloth, right? She was the first convert in Philippi. Um, and she was, at the time, a woman who was leading almost like a, 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 um, a service um, outdoors in a, a kind of a synagogue type situation. Um, and so she, she converts and she becomes a host to uh, the church, the, the birthing church in Philippi. Um, as a side note, women in Philippi continue to have a prominent role in the Philippian church. You can read this in Philippians 4, uh, verse 2. Um, and then also what makes his time in Philippi uh, unique is that he was also briefly incarcerated and imprisoned in Philippi um, and then um, was delivered. And if you remember, the Philippian jailer becomes a convert as well um, to Jesus Christ. Um, Paul visited Philippi a few times after his initial, after leaving, um, and the church continued to support him resources-wise and through prayer uh, and active support for his ministry. And you can read all of that later in Philippians chapter 4. Um, but as we read this intro, and, you know, Paul is known for his introductions in the letters uh, of his uh, epistles. And, you know, before, uh, before, you know, getting into the Bible and studying the Bible more in depth, you know, I should skip over the intro part. Oh, he's just saying hi, right? Like, nowadays we say, dear whatever, dear John. Right? And he's just saying, dear blah, 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 may the God of peace, blah, 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 blah. You know, just greeting stuff. But I now know that we should look more closely into his greetings because they kind of lay out um, the tone and tenor of the letter um, that's going to follow. And so um, we're going to look at this greeting and uh, see what we can glean from it. Um, but verse 3 uh, well, yeah, verse 3, beginning verse 3. I thank my God every time I mention you in my prayers. I'm thankful for all of you every time I pray. And it's always a prayer full of joy. I'm glad because of the way you've been my partners in the ministry of the gospel from the time you first believed it until now. As I said, Paul has a very close and special relationship with the community at Philippi because they stood behind him and stood beside him and supported him through thick and thin. You know, they were like the seed that the sower plants, right? He just, it's a church plant, and he threw out these seeds, and lo and behold, a community that was strong in faith and loyal was springing up. And so Paul, looking back and writing from, uh, to them from prison, is grateful. Like, look at this. The seed that was planted has become, a, you know, I went to sleep. I'm in prison. I'm doing nothing. And it's growing. How amazing. And this opening greeting is dripping with two ingredients. And those two ingredients are one, gratitude, and two, joy. I don't know about you, but if I were in a Roman dungeon awaiting my fate, 
it would seem like thankfulness and joy would be very pretty hard for me to like muster up, right? I wouldn't be feeling very grateful. I wouldn't be feeling very happy. I'd probably be really, really, really afraid, maybe really, really, really angry, and probably feeling sorry for myself, right? Why me, God? Why is this happening to me? How can I get out of the situation? How am I going to get out of the situation? And that's just the thing, right? Gratitude and joy are not simple emotions that we just muster up at will, right? They're not like a happy smile we put on for people when we're being Seattle nice, right? We don't just put on our thankful face uh, when we need to in the moment. Um, But true gratitude and true joy are born out of courageously engaging life with eyes fixed on a greater purpose. Amen? True gratitude and true joy are born out of courageously engaging life with eyes fixed on a greater purpose. True gratitude and true joy are born out of discipline and habit, out of consistent reflection and the deeper practices of the heart. True gratitude and joy spring up in spite of our circumstances because our souls are bent towards Christ. Amen? Amen. And that's what Advent is about, right? No matter what our circumstances, no matter what's going on around us, Paul mentioned the busyness, right? The, you know, the rush around us. Our souls are bent towards the coming Christ during Advent. And we remember that. We, we, we take that on as individuals and a community of faith. And so here in this passage, we see that Paul, um, it says he prays. Every time he prays, he mentions them in prayer. He's thankful for all of them every time he prays. Every single time he prays. Right? So we see that Paul is consistent and disciplined in his prayer life. And when he prays, every time, yes, every single time, he mentions his community, his family in Philippi. He prays for all of them and says their name every time. Who are the people in your life that are on your lips every time you pray? Who are we praying for today, church, when we, when we pray to God? The other thing that Paul mentions that every time he prays, his prayers are full of joy. And that he's glad because he sees in his family, in the, the church at Philippi, the longevity, the long-suffering, the loyalty and faithfulness um, that they have. And, and this, this leads me to another point that gratitude and joy are in fact born out of character. They're, they're, they're fruits of character, right? Uh, and character is born out of suffering, right? And circumstance and living life. Uh, but not, not the kind of suffering where you just suffer because you're a martyr, right? Because you want to bring attention to it. You want to suffer for suffering's sake because you have some sort of self-loathing and you, don't, you, don't, you think you don't deserve anything good but to suffer. But suffering um, that comes from 
living the engaged life, living a life engaged um, um, with what's going on with you uh, in the world. And it's a, it's a type of suffering that's seeped, that's soaked in hope and faith. When we have hope, when we have faith, we enter into suffering in a completely different way, in a unique way, um, in the way of Christ. Because the cruciform life of Christ is our model and source of true joy and thankfulness. Amen? The life of Christ and his, the cruciform life that he would lay down his life for his friends, that he would give himself away for the sake of the world, for the sake of the poor, for the sake of the captives, for the sake of prisoners, the blind, those who cannot walk, the poor, that that life is the source of true joy and thankfulness. It's not, it's counterintuitive, right? It's upside down, but that's the truth and the reality of, of life. Um, and what you can see in Paul's greeting and what he's saying and in this, the beginning opening of this letter is that Paul sees this same character, this gospel grit, right? This kingdom grit growing in his Philippian fam. They've been his partners in the gospel since the very beginning of their faith. They could have ditched him, right? As soon as he got thrown into prison, it wasn't a popular thing. Paul wasn't a popular person. There's a stigma being, you know, uh, incarcerated in, uh, by the Roman Empire. They could have run away. They could have, like, said, okay, forget about this. This isn't real. Like, let's, like, not rock the boat. Let's avoid the wrath of Nero. Um, but instead... There's this kingdom swagger that's growing up in them. There's this confidence that's growing in them. That small mustard seed, right? That's growing up into a great large shrub. Those seeds that were thrown out. And um, as he was planting these churches in Europe, his first churches, imagine what Paul is feeling in prison as he sees that dynamic growth in life out of just things that, out of the seed that he scattered. Like, whoa, the amazing thing. And you remember the parable of the growing seed uh, a couple of weeks ago. A man, you know, plant throws out seed and he doesn't know how it grows, right? He just threw it out. He goes to, he goes to bed, but while he sleeps, it grows. And this, this, this is like, the kingdom of heaven is like this. This, transform, this transformation, this exponential growth, this mysterious growth. And I imagine that Paul is experiencing this in prison, seeing the church at Philippi and being very proud, being very happy to see disciples grow, right? A church grow out of nothing and to be to just singing praise on his knees right there in the dungeon. God, you are amazing. God you do great things. Thankfulness and joy. Thankfulness and joy. Amen. And he's overwhelmed by it. He's overwhelmed at the miraculous growth of kingdom family. 
I can't get over it. He started, you know, just being, having been a part of church planting, all of us being a part of a church plant and having been a part of maybe church plants or starting other things, starting businesses or starting children, starting families, starting things, right? Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's like, I don't know if this is going to happen. I want to quit. I don't see it, God. Like, are you sure? Like, there's other things I could have done, right? Maybe I should have gone to med school or whatever it was. Like, there's a lot of things. <laughs> he started alone, and now he has eternal brothers and sisters fighting for him who have his back. Who even when he's thrown in prison, they're growing stronger and stronger. And they're multiplying and reproducing and growing. That's church, people, right? That organic growth that we have brothers and sisters that we wouldn't have known. That we wouldn't maybe hang out with on our left to our own devices. But because we're the church, we have eternal brothers and sisters that will have our back that will grow with us, that will call us out, hold us accountable, pick us up when we're down. That's family. That's the church. That's the kingdom of God, and it's beautiful. That's what we're about. And that is the promise. That's the fruit that will come is gratefulness and joy born out of love. Verse 6, I'm sure about this, the one, and this is the crux verse, the one who started a good work in you will stay with you to complete the job by the day of Christ, Jesus. Just as Paul has been blown away by the witness of this growing church, he returns the favor by reminding the Philippians and encouraging the Philippians that God has, done, has been doing good things in them and will continue to do so. Just as his spiritual children have been an encouragement to him and a support to him and a reminder to him of God working in his own life, even in prison... He is continuing that perpetual motion of the kingdom community by encouraging them back. Keep with it, people. You have that gospel medal inside you. It's going to pay off. You may not feel it. You may not be experiencing it. But it's going to pay off. Maybe not in money and riches. But you will have fruit. You will have fruit. You know, as a parent, um, some of the most amazing things is when your parent, you know, you feel like you're sacrificing everything, giving, feeding, raising, pouring into your children. But the days that you experience, those moments that you experience your children actually pouring into you, aren't those amazing? <laughs> like, what? What? Like when Cammie or Isaiah demonstrate this uncanny maturity and encourage you. Like, I remember coming home really discouraged and kind of depressed and sad and like nothing's going right, you know. And I don't know, 
maybe Cami was just is just intuitive and sensing the dark cloud. You know, she comes and puts her hands on my cheek and says, "God loves you." <laughs> it's like what? It's like what? What a gift that is, right? This is supernatural. This is seeing Christ at work. The other thing that verse 6 points us to is the aspect of process and journey. We are all incomplete works in progress. That's, that's reality. Until Christ comes again, we are incomplete works in progress. We're saved by grace. That's already been done. But we are works in progress, continually being transformed, being renewed, regrown. Um, but the promise is that Christ will finish the job one day. But we need to know that things take time. Some things take a lot of time. Character takes time. Change takes time. Hope involves time. That one time I learned, I asked God, Give me patience. Well, God's answer was time, right? Like, how do you learn patience but a lot of time? But the thing is, we get discouraged along the way, right? We always, we get discouraged, we get down. We have setbacks in our own growth. Uh, There's times when we're traveling in the desert, the dark night of the soul, those cold, dark days when things are hard, our fingers are cold and frostbitten, our feet are wet, and we still have to keep walking. There are those days when we don't feel anything at all, and nothing seems to be happening. Nothing seems to be working. Nothing seems to be going right. I pray and pray, and it doesn't seem like God is hearing me. It doesn't seem like God answers questions. It seems like God is so distant. And silent, or he's completely absent. Does God even love me or care about me? But this is the encouragement. God started it. He has started the work in you. Don't you remember? So you better believe that God's going to complete it. Because God, maybe you have friends or family members in your life, or you yourself start things and never finish them. Right? As an ENFP, I'm like that. I'm all about ideas, 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 but I seldom, well, I do want to finish things, but sometimes I don't finish them. My books on my bookshelf, all, well, they're all there out there now. They all have bookmarks in the middle of the book. I've yet to finish a book in my life, right? I start them and I go to the next book, right? I start things and I don't finish them, but God starts things and he finishes them. That's what Paul is saying. He doesn't start anything. He doesn't intend on finishing up. He ain't no quitter. Jesus is coming. That's what we're waiting for. The advent of Jesus Christ. God with us is born in Jerusalem this day. The seed that was planted in you will bear fruit. Amen? And what fruit is being born in us? What does Paul pray for the Philippians? Verse 9, this is my prayer that your love might become even more and more rich with knowledge and all kinds of insight. 
I pray this so that you will be able to decide what really matters and so you will be sincere and blameless on the day of Christ. I pray that you will then be filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes from Jesus Christ in order to give glory and praise to God. Basically, Christ is making us into superheroes of love. Right? He wants to upgrade us. Along with our heat ray eye beams and icy frost breath, our love will grow even more deep and will be augmented with, what does he say? More knowledge and insight. Just imagine our love for our neighbors will be given even more wisdom and discernment. That's superpowers, right? Amen? We will be more insightful. We will, be, we will have more compassion. We will be wiser in how we see the world and see people around us and how we speak into people's lives, how we serve them. We will have clearer eyes to see people and their hunger and their thirst and their longings. We will be given the supernatural power to lay, we will be given more supernatural power to lay ourselves down and to serve. Amen. And we'll be filled with the fruit. We will have fruit. And what Paul says is that he prays we, they will be filled with the fruit of righteousness. Basically, righteousness here, and in the Bible, it means justice. You will be filled with the fruits of justice. We will, which means that we'll continually increase, increasingly live in God's mercy, compassion, and love. So that we will live more rightly, live more justly, live more lovingly and compassionately. In the world among our brothers and sisters around us. This is fruit. More loving community. A more just community. This fruit is the outcropping of just living. And all of this, according to Paul, is a gift of Jesus Christ. So that no one can boast, not of our own, you know, like putting the smile of happiness on your face or putting the gratefulness, thank you guys, on our face. But there's more depth to it, right? There's something behind it. There's rootedness to it because of the time and the prayer and the long suffering and the character building. It's a gift that Christ gives us so that none of us can boast, but we will give glory and praise to God. Amen. So uh, I have here some cards. I was at home looking for, I have these bigger photo language things. Um, and the idea of photo language um, comes from Eric Law's book, uh, The Wolf Shall Dwell with the Lamb. Um, it's basically a book on multicultural, building a multicultural communities and leadership and how how do you uh, lead diverse communities and uh, you know we 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 uh, did some of this when I was in campus ministry at UW 
the multi-ethnic fellowship just because leadership development looks different from different cultural vantage points. And um, so what, is it, what does it mean to have a diverse community uh, and to raise up leaders in that diverse community? And so Eric Law's idea, he has different exercises and different ways of sharing uh, some of which include photo language or the other things. We, we did this in our membership class is the octagons, right? The, um, you write, there's a question or a prompt and you write your answers on the octagons and put it on the table so that everyone's thoughts and contributions can be seen. Because usually when we're having a discussion, you'll have one or two loud people and then one or two you know, quiet people. So you only hear, you know, the more expressive people, their ideas. But if everything is written and out in front of you and you put together those that are common or the patterns, you begin to see what the community is hearing and thinking. And so that's that. And then photo language um, is a way of kind of uh, anchoring our process, anchoring our thoughts and feelings onto art, onto a picture and then sharing from that because it brings up the right brain aspect. Because oftentimes when we share, we'll share kind of facts or you know, like what we know about things, but we won't necessarily share like from our heart or share creatively. But what this does is, like Lectio Divina, it allows us to share creatively. But anyways, I'm going to toss these out on the floor here. These are actually from the Covenant. Uh, they're called picture cards, <laughs> but same idea. Um, but we're going to take some time, and as you are willing and you don't have to, you can come up here and uh, look around at the pictures. And uh, if you need to look at one more closely, you can pick it up, look at it more closely. Um, but know that you know other people may choose yours, so put it back down and keep that picture in your mind. But I'll give a prompt, and just in your time looking at these photos, pick one that resonates with you um, based on the question I give. Um, but the question is, what is the work that God began in you that you are still waiting for him to complete? Or you're longing for fruit in that area? What's the work that Christ began in you? So, Andrew, if you would put on some music and we'll take some time. As you are willing, please come. this time. God, thank you so much. Uh, ah, like how can we even count or describe how wonderful uh, your deeds, how awesome you are, um, and the amazing things you're doing within each of us and in us as a family, as a body. Uh, we give you thanks and praise. We, um, fill us with joy and fill us with increasing love 
uh, with insight and wisdom and discernment um, as we go about um, our daily lives. In Jesus' name, amen.